Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. And today I have Brandon Kennedy, who is a true entrepreneur. You're going to hear his story in a second. It's like when I heard it, I, I can't believe this. This guy is like the typical entrepreneur who is relentless, does not know how to stop at anything. Um, Brandon is the founder and CEO of Next Stop. Next Stop is a global travel apparel and accessories company. They were, they've been in business for 15 years. And, but the most interesting thing about Brendan is he started his Amazon operation right after the pandemic. So um, being in business for a long time, they actually supply Delta and uh, Virgin Atlantic with the, their products. So um, they've been doing this long enough, but their Amazon experience is fairly fresh. So I'm going to paint you a picture now. So imagine it's mid-March 2020, and we all know what happened. March 13th, the country goes into a lockdown. Businesses are disrupted. Nobody's going to the office. They, nobody knows how business is going to play out. And, and here is my uh, Brandon, and Brandon is planning his Amazon operation. So... Uh, I mean, this is, if if this does not define entrepreneur, I don't know what does. I mean, the guy does not, a global pandemic, and he's planning, okay, what am I going to do next? So, so fast forward a couple of months, that brings us to May. So, Brandon, take us from there. So, what happened? Tell us uh, what happened in May and how things actually uh, played out for you. Yeah, so it was, uh, I found my background, by the way, so getting that going. It was kind of interesting, right? The business for Next Stop I started originally just to be direct-to-consumer. Uh, in fact, we were really thinking for a while we were going to go to the traditional wholesale route. But 2020, as you imagine, we're a, tr- a travel business. We make sustainably made travel wear. So we came into the year thinking, wow, business is going to be great. I left my, I was actually doing next stop on the side uh, for many years because I was working full-time in technology. I left my job in 2020 in January to go full-time into next stop. And we did a photo shoot March 7th. We were anticipating this is going to be huge. And then the lockdown starts. And the Amazon business came about because basically we started to shift the business early. I mean, because of travel being so affected, we were probably one of the first companies in the world to shift to face masks and why that was going to be a a really important part of what travel would become in 2020. So April 2nd, we launched on our own site, the first travel leisure bamboo odor resistant mask, and we started to sell like crazy. But at the time, I didn't really have very much working capital to scale up. So I'd gone to some investors, this one investment bank over in Switzerland and basically convinced them that they should write us a loan for some working capital. But they said to me, like, you know, your business is interesting, but if you're going to get the scale that's interesting, 
thing to us. We want to see you in some other places. And it so happened that we gotten some press coverage, GQ, Vogue, Esquire, New York Mag, and other places for the mass coverage right in the beginning of April. Amazon actually came to us, said the category manager for travel emailed me out of the blue and said, we saw you in these articles. We know that you've got the masks. Nobody else does. We want to bring you into Amazon. Can you do it? How much inventory can you have? So we were playing this game of, we said to them, of course, we've got tons. We're going to bring it to you. This is going to be no problem at all. And they basically whitelisted us into the program, which means at the time they had put a permanent or temporary block on any other brands entering FBA. Nobody was allowed because they were prioritizing for PPE. And within PPE, they were being very selective because there was a lot of shadiness going on, candidly. So when they came to us, they effectively said, we see that you're legitimate. You tell us you have inventory. And they moved all of the obstacles out of the way such that within, I think, two weeks, we actually launched. They came to us. It was like April 10th or so. I got the first email and by May 3rd, we were up and running and we air freighted in, you know, 100,000 masks or something like that into the FBA warehouses. So in the span of two weeks, we went and set up and launched in the U.S. And then we quickly expanded outside of the U.S. into other markets. But I could talk about that a little bit yeah. more in a second. So, I mean, what, what I find amazing is that and I want you to tell me this from a human experience standpoint. So March 13th, I remember because I was flying back from Minneapolis, back to New York City from a client site, and, and I had no idea what was really coming. And the airport was fairly empty. So, and, and of course, I landed and I came home, and the following day, they announced we are in a lockdown. Nobody's going anywhere. And I live in New York State. New York is one of those places where, you know, they go extreme so nobody's going anywhere you're stuck in your apartment so uh, so here you are in travel that basically came to a standstill and you are contacting investment banks in switzerland and uh, doing yeah. stuff, I mean, and launching on your website travel gear so uh, tell me i mean help me understand the mindset what's going through your head and i mean aren't you like completely disappointed with what's going on and worried what's around the corner for you? Yeah. I mean, I think the scary part was, is I had lost, well, I'd left my job, right? I was working at VMware, making good money. I left that job, was going to do this full time and fully expected that we would be able to ramp up. And then when they cut travel completely, it was a scary moment. I think that the it's interesting how the universe aligns in energy to put opportunities in front of you if you're willing to listen. So I got a call from my China supplier very soon after the lockdown was starting. And he said, listen, are you thinking about reusable face masks? And I said, well, you know, I wasn't really before. And he said, listen, in China, this is everywhere. I'm telling you, this is something you better think about. And I was very ready to actually pass that opportunity by. And point of fact, I was my girlfriend, uh, who lives with me and still lives with me now, said, I am so convinced that this is going to be true. I will give you money to do this. And she's a very difficult person to convince because she's very savvy about things. And when she she stated that, I actually went for a run and it was like a lightning bolt hit me in the head where I suddenly realized that if this is that 
dramatic and what's going to disrupt travel, masks are going to, by definition, be a requirement everywhere, not just air travel, but trains, hotels, subways, everything we're going to do is going to require this. So if we move quickly, we're going to have this chance to be out in front. And I came home, I picked up the phone on WeChat, and I called this guy and said, give me 10,000 units. And in the next week, we started to see, this was before the lockdown started. This was, you know, where they were talking about it. And as the lockdown started to go into effect, I upped the order. I said, give me 100,000. And I didn't have any money for this at the time, by the way. So we still hadn't locked any financing. And we were selling the masks on the site with no inventory in the States. We were, we were pre-ordering them as we were air freighting the things in. So it was a whole thing to see what we could do and establish the demand was there. And once the demand was there, it was easy to say, listen, let's get somewhere where there's even more people. And Amazon was that answer. We knew if we could get in there, we started doing everything we could, even before the Amazon woman called us to try and get the products listed, figure out what UPCs we would have to get because we didn't use UPCs on our own site. We didn't have to. So it was like, figure out their system, get the stuff. What is their barcode structure? What is the poly bagging? Oh you know, God. in the span of a week, we were like, okay, we've got it. And then 100,000 units, get them in there as fast as you can. So it was exciting. I mean, uh, exciting is not the word, but I mean, this is, this is like so, what I love about this is you have absolute uncertainty in front of you. You don't know what's going to happen and something happens and you get this vision and on that vision, you take action, you act, and then you do something. It's already bold, but you know, you order 10,000 and you, you don't have money, you don't have anything even for the 10,000. Yeah. And then, and, and then you, you later up it to 100,000, not even thinking, I'm doing this. I mean, yeah. this, this is, uh, this is regardless of Amazon business, this is like, this is what it takes to be successful, right? Yep. And it was cool because it was the first time where, you know, for years when I was working at Next Stop part-time and just, it was sort of a, a fun thing for me to do on the side. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have such demand for our products that I would have a supply side problem like this. And then when we came into Amazon and we had immediately launched, it was a game changer. I mean, we... The first few days, yeah, and we sold, uh, you know, three units, 10 units, but then it was 100, 500, 1,000, 3,000 a day, a day ripping through this. And it would, I remember, I think the 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 most, I, I went, it was in June or maybe Memorial Day weekend of 2020. And I remember sitting in the car, I was going camping. And I remember that we did like $77,000 one day. And I was, I was really excited. <laughs> I was pretty pumped up. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm literally going camping right now, not doing anything, and we're, we're making money. So that was really good. Yeah. But you know, the, it was, it was a, a, a really uh, tense time. I mean, in that part of the pandemic, between uh, March and June, I probably slept four hours a day. I would wake up at five in the morning and be on the phone with the supplier in China to catch them before they went to bed. And then, you know, be up until 2 a.m. trying to make sure, because you have to get, remember, the shipments coming into the country were not guaranteed. There were people out. There were no flights from, from anywhere. 
So we were basically paying through the nose to get this stuff in. And then at the time, the import procedures for the masks were really indeterminate. So they would treat them like medical masks and then they would stop them and they'd want all sorts of paperwork and then realize, oh, we don't need it. But if we're sitting here trying to sell forward all of this stuff, it made it a very unique experience of how you had to be a master of what does shipping mean? What are import fees? Or how much is it going to cost us in the duties? And they changed all these rules very dynamically because as soon as they wanted the mask, they basically put a put a temporary hold on the on the China duty, which is an extra 15% or so. And this is all stuff that in the span of a couple of weeks we had to become masters at in order to do it at the scale that we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... Uh... I remember at the time there was all, and plus, even if, even if they decided on the rules and regulations, whatever, now you have delays because people are getting COVID, the workforce is depleted, yep. and then you want anything that took a day was taking three, four, five days, if any. So, I mean, it was a total mess. I mean, the world got hit. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I just cannot get over the fact that, you know, this is what's going on. And then you're like <laughs> digging your heels in and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, it, it's great. So let's move on to uh, the big picture topic. So what do you see as the biggest opportunities and challenges as a seller on Amazon? Yeah. I mean, listen, we're going through a transition now that is moving from the masks to the apparel. The masks is something highly searchable. We have amazing SEO that's really kicking into effect. Our awareness on Amazon, our rankings, our reviews, and it's just a product that candidly is something that people go there to find. I mean, I, I was coming back from Aruba where you know I was last week for vacation. I'm in the airport and I saw four people wearing our masks. And I walk over and I say, you know, hey guys, uh, this is my company, really excited. Love seeing people traveling wearing our products. Where'd you find us? On Amazon. How'd you find us? Well, we went to Google. We Googled, you know, most breathable masks, found you on Amazon. And, you know, this, they're great. And they're telling me how much they like them. And I said, well, did you know that we also sell apparel? No, they didn't know that. And I think the, the challenge, the opportunity that we opened up with Amazon is this, this brand awareness machine. I mean, you're out there in front of millions of people every day. And you can have your store presence, which we do, of course, in every one of our countries. And people are buying these products and they can get them quickly. They have a good experience and they learn about the brand. Stage two for us, where the challenge has been, is introducing things that are apparel for travel, which are not as easily searchable. And the people don't necessarily come to Amazon looking for. You know, There's not a lot of people coming to Amazon Googling, you know, travel outfits or maybe they say hey best socks for travel or merino wool socks for travel but we've spent the last 12 months really trying to crack the code on what is the way that we can get the apparel moving in the same way that the mask would and especially for organic results and i think that we spend a lot of money in the different advertising you know, uh, components, sponsor brands, sponsor products, sponsor display. But at least I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Sponsor product still seems to be overwhelmingly the most important one. And it's really tough to do that with some products, um, apparel being one of them. So um, first, something that you mentioned, 
is, is something that people don't really either know or don't put too much emphasis on it. But Amazon and Google, they made this deal where Amazon serves the product search results. So if you put your product, your brand, I should say your brand and your products on Amazon, somebody goes to Google and searches it, Amazon will serve up those results. So uh, the traffic to your listing will come from Google originated by a Google search. So therefore it's a big deal. And in your case, you made that decision very wisely where you got the products on Amazon and even though you're getting traffic from Google. So that's one. The sponsored products, you're right. That's the most efficient. And my experience has been, if you want to drive sales, use sponsored products. If you want to build brand awareness, use sponsored brands. So uh, don't expect too much. But here comes the, the challenge. And that's real uh, efficient PPC management. Because uh, if you don't manage that, and it's a moving target all the time, and then clearly it's something that, you know, it's going to bleed you money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. The first few months of the pandemic were the best ever. We did no paid advertising on Amazon at all. It was all organic, and it was just banking this money. <laughs> and yeah. then we hit a point where other people started to get into the game, and we, we had to invest heavily in sponsored products and we have an agency that runs this for us i think they do a good job they're on top of it i work very closely with them but i would agree with you i think the awareness piece is what we need more of but amazon loves to we spent probably too much money testing out dsp with them we spent you know three to six months we were in canada you know we, we launched in, in canada in june of 2020 which was really impressive. We ended up going there, which was funny because in Canada, I was expecting that to get us going, they would really, you know, want to see more your business registration or whatever. And they didn't say that at all. They're like, oh, you know, you we'll figure it out. You can launch here. And then we got our business number after. So we basically started, we're selling tons. We did over a million dollars in the first year. And then we were retroactively trying to catch up with getting registered with the tax agency and doing stuff, which is yeah. probably not the way you're supposed to do it, but you know, um, in, in any case, but when we went into Canada, the awareness piece I thought was more important. So we started to do DSP. It worked great for the first two to three months. You know, we were seeing consistently ROAS that was way above, I think what they were usually telling us, I mean, almost two in some places, again, driven by the masks. So not surprisingly, probably some more. We started to do it in the US, but then that sort of performance tailed off. And as we did more and more stuff with the apparel, again, I think we've been floundering about a little bit, trying to figure yeah. how much, what's the percentage mix if you have your marketing budget that you're putting towards each one of these things? So what is your take on Amazon analytics? Because the key is, I mean, masks, obviously, you were in the right place at the right time. So, yep. you know, masks immediately had this demand. So you can't really take that as a, as a, a benchmark, so to speak. It's not going to yep. happen. Uh, so with apparel, you've got more of a challenge. So, um, and also running a PPC campaign without really having uh, the listings convert um, is really throwing money. 
uh, yeah. onto nothing. So what is your take on Amazon analytics to make sure that this your listings are performing the way they do? How much uh, use do you get out of them and do you, how, how do you use it? What is the best way to use it? I mean, to be fair, I think we're doing very little in terms of looking at all the analytics day to day. I think I've been very focused on sort of when we have these meetings with our agency, we go through product by product, looking at the performance in terms of what's doing well, what isn't. We do a lot of thought about some of the keyword adjustments, what we can do to adjust the listings. But from an analytics standpoint, I think that we're really just scratching the surface of probably all the things that Amazon lets you do. We do look at some of the brand analytics dashboards that they give you. Um, we use that stuff in building the sponsored display campaigns, for instance. Like if we're thinking about doing retargeting, we're looking at other groups that are similar to us. We try to use some of the built-in tools to say, hey, like, for example, we have a, a hoodie with a mask built in that's one of our top sellers and we looked around to say hey how do we like target other other uh, interest groups that would want this maybe not just because of covid and mask but actually we found that snowboarders and people skiing like this because the mask keeps your face warm and also it means you don't have to have a separate mask for you when you're on the mountain which they're regulating now but i i think i candidly uh my team have more to more to learn with the analytic, you know, analytics capability that's there natively, not even to mention probably other apps and things yeah. would be able to point us in the right direction. Because the native reporting is pretty terrible. I was talking with Scott who runs our paid acquisition. And one of the things that's annoying is, so we have four markets. We, we operate in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and the UK. And because of the reduction in visibility that we see in ad performance tracking because of Facebook, iOS, we are switching to basically MER, you know, uh, marketing efficiency ratio tracking at the top level. So today, you know, I would love to see in Amazon, it's one of the few places you can see, I spent this much on this product. This is how much money this product has made. And you can kind of compare those one-to-one, -one, but it's very difficult to pull that information together into one place in Amazon to like let you track easily. You see some of it in the campaign manager, you see some of it in the business reports and you got to manipulate it and yeah, do yeah. a bunch of stuff. So I I'm mean, sure I, you, you, I already want to ask you how you deal with that. So we'll, we'll see. I, I tell you, <laughs> I tell you what my experience was. I, I'm a data person. I'm analytics. Well, I, I should, I'm a systems person, right? That's, that's where my uh, education is. Yep. And I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm a technology entrepreneur. That's what I describe myself as. So um, I've always been focused on effectively using technology in building and running a business. And when internet business came along, it was a natural fit because it's all about systems. So, and then systems, it became so fragmented. And frankly, I didn't need to uh, really look at systems, but it moved to data. So now... I only deal with data analytics, how to best use of it. So uh, there are three aspects of it. First of all, the source, what data are you looking at? What are the data points? You need to really identify what they are. And usually it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. The second is when you get that data in one place, it's not enough. You're looking at an Excel sheet with hundreds and hundreds of rows making up formulas, that's no way to do it. So you need to be able to visualize the data 
So you need something that will do that. And then the last step is where you make money. It's the actions. So yep. what are the actions? So when this data shows uh, this, then do this. If it's between this and this, do nothing. If it's over this, then do. So what are those actions? So at the end of the day, uh, by the time you gather everything in one place and then you create that visualization, you are so exhausted you really have no time to spend the time on the real high value stuff. And of course, by the time you, you've done all that, the data is outdated anyway. So, yep. and you need to be doing this. Uh, this is not a challenge that is gonna go away anytime soon, um, but it will get better. There are solutions out there and uh, definitely visualization based solutions. But yep. turn, turning it into actionable is 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 the real deal. So uh, that's that's the reality. Yeah, yeah. Like I have a, I have a use case for you that we were reviewing yesterday on this exactly. So we have a men's travel pant, which is it's been a really strong performer on our own store. Basically, this pant is modeled on a Lululemon uh, jogger where it's four way stretch. We actually put an antiviral uh, finish on the pant. It's made to be ultra comfortable very lightweight and we see great success on our own store we launched this on amazon and it's a higher price point it's 95 dollar pant i mean in the scope of lululemon pants it's probably about half what you'd pay for them but in either case we've had difficulty with this one because it just seems the general the, the consumer base on amazon is a little more price sensitive to these things so we've been trying some of these ppc campaigns some of them are working but there's two yesterday where you know we basically have been running something for a while we're not really seeing that much impact. But then the women's pant, which we also just launched, is almost the same price point, uh, same finish, things like that, has been performing better. And I would love to be able to see, like, this campaign, we're running the same kind of strategy for the women's pant, seems to perform these metrics on, like, the CPA, how much we spent so far, why this campaign maybe is good or not, whereas the men's one, it's not performing. So I'd like to, it would be cool to have more insight into like, yeah, I'd look at which ones to use and not. Rate. I'd look at the conversion rates. Yeah. That's the key. One may be converting more. If they, if given both listings, the same traffic, and if yeah. one is doing more, then that's the conversion. But uh, of course, that's also a moving target. So yeah. uh, it's, I mean, uh, you, you look, you, you're suffering through it all. That's, that's yeah. what so you'll figure out so let's uh, move on to another subject uh, based on your experience uh, which model is better what would be your recommendation for fba versus fbm and what are the pros and cons i mean fba 100 percent is what you should do i'll give you an example though we're now about to launch in the mcf program which is the multi multi-channel fulfillment uh, and the reason we're doing that is because the cost of fulfillment is just too expensive. Amazon basically can do it for half the price in two days. They distribute your inventory everywhere where you don't have to think about it. And customers want that. It's, there's no doubt, no question that people prefer that. And if you're not trying to exist in that ecosystem, I think that's a, that's a miss. If FBM, of course, is cheaper because you don't have to pay the Amazon fulfillment fees, but then what happens? You know, you got to deal with the partner that you sign up with and unless they have a super extensive warehouse network and also important from a data analytics piece 
you don't want to be the one who's dynamically trying to figure out where your inventory should be shit sitting, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon does that for you. You know, whether or not they do it efficiently is probably, you know, yet to be seen from their standpoint. But there's one partner, ShipBob, that we tried to work with, that we are working with, but we're, we're winding things down. And they're trying to replicate a model like Amazon, where they have distribution centers in many different places in the United States, overseas. But they say to you, oh, well, when you send a shipment, you you tell us where to send it. I'm like, I'm not, I don't have an inventory analyst who's going to, you know, crunch the numbers on optimization for where we should put this stuff. Like, get out of here. There's no way I'm doing that. So, well, I mean, it's, just, it's a, this was actually, if you go back and look at the Amazon history and, you know, I lived through it. At the beginning, nobody, first of all, Amazon did not turn any profits for like 20 years. And uh, I, I never forget in year 2000, uh, Tom Brokaw used to host this thing called Silicon Summit. And he would invite all the dot-com CEOs. Of course, at the time, everything is great. And Jeff Bezos was there. Of course, everybody's talking about going public and you know the stock price is up and down or whatever. So uh, he asked Jeff Bezos to spell profit. And um, Jeff Bezos answered P-R-O-P-H-E-T. <laughs> that <laughs> just articulate, it's not in his, on his radar screen. In there, actually, there, his letter to shareholders, he said right off the bat, do not expect any profits for five years. So yeah. and then that, that kind of went on. So my point is, this was a company that was not making money, was running on growth only. And that was their thing. And even then, they discovered that unless they had distribution centers all over the place, this this business was not going to go anywhere. So they started building these distribution centers all over the place at such a fast pace. And uh, so now somebody else comes along, tries to replicate uh, (laughs) more than a decade later. It's that they're not catching up. They're not catching up. Yeah, so... so I mean, when we launch, hopefully Friday, when we're going to offer Prime shipping on our site, fulfilled by Amazon, I fully expect that that's going to have, I don't think it's some drastic change, but it will make an impact. If you suddenly come to the site and we're saying to you, you buy over $50 worth of goods and we're giving you two-day shipping fulfilled by Amazon. That's I mean, a big deal. Now, I, I want to I mention something that, that, that you touched on. But uh, people may not be familiar with it. You, you mentioned MCF uh, yep. for multi-channel fulfillment. That yep. is the service Amazon actually has been offering for a while now. So if you have a Shopify website or any, any other kind of website and you have the integration with Amazon backend, Amazon will actually fulfill your website orders. Correct. That's what MCF. And, and again, it, it hits the system, they'll fulfill it. You don't ask anybody to do anything. And all it yep. is, your inventory uh, that you send to Amazon with your FBA shipment fills both your yep. website orders. And so one question though, what happens if touch world your selling account is suspended? Does your inventory, do they continue using it? It's not, not associated or, or a function of your selling account status. Yeah. So that's it. It's, it's linked. It's linked through it. And you, and in fact, the inventory that you used is basically commingled. So, you know, 
and this is the, the last step we're waiting to do. We had a couple products that we did not sell on Amazon uh, yet. So we have to put them into Amazon FBA and then your overall inventory limits are a function of those two added together. Yeah. But they have a person, at least we have an account manager that, that helps us manage that and, and adjust the thresholds as needed. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've said that it was it's not impacted, but you know, like, you know, probably even better than me, there's a whole bunch of wacky shit that goes on on Amazon that you can't, yeah, you know, yeah. they say that, oh, it's not going to be a problem. And then it's a hundred percent a problem. Or they so. change their policy or they change yeah. their policy just to encourage people to uh, keep their standards high. Yeah. So, uh, so let's talk, because that may be interesting for some people that they may say, oh, you know, I'd like to do that. What does it take to have that MCF? Is it an integration between systems? How, how yeah. closely is it to implement it? It's funny. It's, it's actually, there's, there's multiple providers that you can effectively install as third-party APIs. Um, some of them are more elaborate. There's one called Pipe17, which is effectively a, a company that builds these connections, not just between Shopify and Amazon, but many different platforms. They're a platform connector company. There's another company that we're going to use called Webby, which is basically just Shopify to Amazon. And the price points are, are very different. The, the, it's, it was cheap. I think it's cost, you know, if you go with the one that's just between Amazon and Shopify, it's about $50 a month or something. But if you want to go with the other that can do more extensive routing or decide not to send some things to Amazon and some things other place, you start talking about, you know, $5,000 to set it up and operate per year or something. So it's, but the out of the box way, which knock on wood seems like we're able to do is, was really easy. I mean, I effectively installed Webby. I configured it myself in about 10 minutes and you know it sets up and it works so it's not complicated and basically any merchant could decide they just want to start by installing that app and beginning to do so so we were lucky in the fact that i guess we're big enough maybe that the account managers came to us and said hey we want you to do this and we'll work with you to to make it happen but it was it was actually quite simple to do yeah i mean that uh, leads to other challenges, of course, because now you're getting one settlement report that's all mixed with all kinds of transactions. So you want to be able to analyze that and figure it out so that it mm. gets posted to your accounting system so that you can see your performance yep. in one place. So yep. I guess it's an easier problem to handle than every day fulfill orders and then pay and the service level, the cost. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they gave us they gave us a very simple table to prove this. And, you know, I said to the guy, I want you to model out mask, shirt, sweatshirt, let's call it, because those are things that are that are heavier. And it's a scale that as you ship more units per order, the cost per unit goes down. And, he, you know, if you shoot, if you send one sweatshirt and they're standard, there's three shipping speeds, standard, I think expedited and priority with priority is the fastest, standard is the slowest. And the difference between standard and priority is, you know, a dollar or something. But if you're talking about a sweatshirt, it costs them maybe $12 to send it if it's just one unit or maybe even less, maybe $10. And then if it quickly becomes, you know, $6 or something, whereas with our standard provider, we pay like 18 
and you're telling we offer free shipping and stuff so you can't sell a 70 dollars sweatshirt and then eat 18 dollars on shipping and that's because it it automatically jumps to usps priority so i just looked at the numbers and it was clear to me there's no doubt that this is at least from a cost and and performance standpoint a better option it just depends of course on you know they don't do wholesale for instance for for amazon they don't do returns really so we have a separate warehouse that we're working with now that's doing everything but we're basically going to change their priority to be they are holding inventory that we're doing wholesale orders for and then they're accepting returns back from amazon to re-kit it and we'll replenish from that um to be determined how that's going to work out but there was no other way that we could figure out to no, I mean, definitely uh, the, the economies of scale that Amazon offers, there's, there's no question. Nobody's going to beat that anytime. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's move on to another uh, favorite subject of mine. Uh, tell us about what it takes to be successful on Amazon uh, for a team. What What is your team? What is it made up of? What yeah. do you outsource? What do you do uh, in-house? But define the roles, not necessarily the, the people doing it, but uh, what are the roles and uh, what is a good idea to outsource to it inside, but also what is it that you do yourself? You don't let anybody. Yep. Well, I'll just say the, the highest level patience and grit are, I think, the, the key attributes. Resourcefulness being the third one. Um, because as you mentioned, Amazon changes stuff all the time. And for us, we ran into a lot of issues in the beginning because face masks were in this indetermined, are they medical, are they not? Could you claim certain things? Could you not? So we would always have issues almost on a daily basis. Then that finally started to become weekly or monthly where suddenly a SKU would be disqualified or they change it to be a pesticidal agent and you, you need to jump all over it. So the team originally, when we started Amazon, it was really me uh, alone, right? So figuring out how to do the listings, you need somebody on your team who, who becomes a wizard at setting up the listings. And you always have problems. Even with their uploader, it's a pain in the ass. It never does it right, or there's an issue with the draft, or some UPC thing doesn't work, and you got to fiddle futz with it, which sucks. So you want a person on your team who can just become the master of like, hey, we're launching a new product. This is what we need. You know, I'm ignoring getting the UPCs and other stuff that you would have to do from whatever that company is, which is the most absurd company in the world, I think. <laughs> like making money selling UPCs that everybody has to use. But uh, GS1, those guys. <laughs> but um, that person who can set up the stuff. The next person I think is, um, and let's just be clear, is once you set up the SKUs and you send an inventory, it's live. So basically you're checking on it, you're doing maintenance, but then you have customer service. And when you're an FBA, of course, you don't have to do any work other than really respond to people who incorrectly message you about what they need to do and push them in the right direction. In certain markets like Mexico, there's actually more to it. Like customers request facturas, which are effectively invoices they can use for expense reduction. And the difference from other markets, you as the seller have to provide them. So the customer service person needs to be checking in every day, kind of seeing what's going on. Our person, Veronica, does both the customer service and she's kind of the wizard for the setting up of the products. She, this is the third role that you could roll into one or depending who you've got, building your store. 
your storefront builder, the A plus content, and having a person who takes your creative and actually builds out the pages, builds out your storefront more in detail is, is a really important role. I think probably of all of them, that's one of the most key ones that's, uh, that you need to think about. If you have a website you know, uh, builder or you have a creative team, this could be that person perhaps. Again, this, this woman, Veronica, we have on my team is just amazing. She does all of this and she's figured it out, but it's a constant change because you know, if you're running promotions or if it's holiday time, you're changing the storefront, you need to build out the A-plus content. If we were really savvy, which we just don't have the bandwidth for it, you'd be A-B testing all this content as well, using Amazon's little engine to do so. Um, I think that the, the next piece is the ads, running the ads. I've outsourced this originally. Uh, I think it's important for you as the owner or main store operator to really grasp what the advertising mechanisms are in Amazon. But you quickly realize that it's just, it's very difficult, at least for me, to do it myself because the amount of time you have to invest in optimizing the campaigns and setting them up becomes really unwieldy. So very in the beginning, I outsourced this to an agency to handle to set up and execute our sponsor brand, sponsor product, and sponsor display campaigns. Mm -hmm. And we have check-ins with them every other week. Uh, but really, they're on the hook for performance uh, to, to make those things run. And I think like where I spend most of my time is I look, and this is one of the data pieces coming back, is they show me a dashboard where they go, hey, our dollar for dollar return on ads is this. But I have to go look at the performance reports and see, well, what about with organic too? Because we see that the the paid ads gives a boost to organic and really your return on ad spend should be those two things. So I spend a lot of the time looking at the efficiency of those. And I think the final role is, you know, um, actually maybe there's two, the inventory sending and management is done by another, is done by my merchant, Lauren. So she's looking at what the inventory performance is. She's trying to see when we need to replenish, Amazon's thrown a lot of curveballs this year where they've introduced these crazy limits on inventory types. Um, they blocked certain ones. So you, unfortunately, at times we've had some of our best sellers we couldn't replenish because they were bucketed under the same category and we were, we didn't have enough inventory in our limit to send more. So having a person who's focused on the performance and who's replenishing, as we, we found out, I guess another lesson here is the death sentence on Amazon is running out of inventory. If you spend all that time to build up your performance and then you run out of inventory, it just torpedoes your ranking. So you never want that to happen, but you got to be paying attention. Um, and it's a pain in the ass. I mean, they change things too, where they decide, hey, they used to send all inventory to one location and then they split it. And then they got wise and said, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to force you to split it and send us different shipments. But that means necessarily that you're making new labels, you're doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the final role, like because we do tax reporting now in certain countries, like I have my outsourced accounting team for Mexico and the, the guys in India who helped me with more things actually have access to the seller central platform. They pull the reports for me. They look at 
the inventory reconciliation stuff for our end of year reporting and they look at the VAT and other stuff for our international reporting. And that's that's just a terrible job, honestly. I hate accounting. <laughs> so I, and you have to do it right. You don't want to mess it up. And for every country we're in, it's different. In the United States, Amazon basically collects and remits all your stuff. Canada, it doesn't. In UK, it does. In Mexico, you got to do it. So you, you need to, and then the requirements and timelines are different. So you really need somebody who's paying attention to that. But those yeah. are the four roles. Financial management is, is a big deal. And, and the Amazon settlement report on its own is so complex in order to integrate yeah. it. So you need to, so that, that final role is really the financial role. So, yep. and it's yep. impossible for one person to do all these things. So yeah. you need a team for sure. Yeah, originally, you know, when we just started before I began hiring more people, I was doing all of these things at once is, you know, starting the listings, getting them up, sending the inventory, making sure the ad campaigns were going, figuring out the tax stuff. And it just consumes your time. So I think as much as possible, I always try to have a focus on what's going to sell us more versus what do I have to pay money and expenses. So if leaning into the A plus content, your storefront build, making sure those are really on point, making sure that your listings are always up and running are key. Yeah. The the reporting and the finance stuff you can kind of get away with, but you you can't neglect it because you know Amazon may charge you weird fees and you gotta kind of or the states, states come after states. You. Yeah. And and by the way, this is the the the, the Supreme Court the rule unleashed every single yeah. state to do their thing. Yeah. And now when these states come after you, they're not coming after you to collect unpaid taxes. They're coming yeah. after you to kill you because they yeah. want to make an example of you. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. really, you, I mean, you're right. You can, you can put it off, but you cannot neglect. And also once these states discover you as a seller that you have liability to them, Yeah so easy for them to come after you because your presence is online. Yeah. And, and what I've heard is they actually go to Amazon and they put a lien on your Amazon account. So the next thing yeah. is your Amazon account is frozen. So it's really not something to mess with. It's no. Yeah, for us, we went in the span of a year. We were only reporting in California and Texas. So now we report in 28 states and we use Avalara to automate the yeah. collection, the reporting and remittance. But, but you know, this is what you just mentioned. It gave me a lot of heartache for a long time. And as a new business seller on Amazon, the law really isn't clear. It it's basically gives leeway to you as a seller to decide when you should declare to these states that you've met their thresholds. And Way, Wayfair versus somebody is the Supreme Court case. I can't yes. recall. but. Yes. You, you start to see that generally it's if it's like more than 200 transactions or $100,000 in some states, you should do this. But, you know, you got to weigh this because every once you put your hand up and you say, I'm in your state, I have to pay you, you're, you're forever, you're in. That's and it. then it's like money. And, and to be fair, I don't think a lot of these states are, you know, knowledgeable enough yet that they can come and get you unless you're huge knock on wood but like we did it because on our own store we saw those volumes 
and I I wanted to make it happen. But there's certain cases, and I'm sure there's Amazon states that we sell in where it's maybe we're rubbing up against that threshold. But you know, Amazon is collecting and remitting the tax on our behalf. So I've kind of just said, you know what, we'll let them do that, and we're we're going to keep that segment of the business on Amazon different from our online store because I don't want to commingle them and then I have to start really, you know, reporting everything and then separating what Amazon's already paid versus why I have to pay. It's just it's yeah. too much. Well I mean the what what I always advise, especially new sellers, is forget about setting through your website. You absolutely want your website, your online presence, but simply link the products your Amazon listing. First of all, yep. drives the external traffic. Second, you don't have to deal with the, all yep. this tax business. Third, and most important, you centralize your inventory management because yep. all you focus on is how much is there and, and should I replenish. So uh, that's what I always recommend. Once you kind of grow and then your revenues are coming in, you know, sustainable levels increasing. Yep. You have enough cash flow, you have time, you have people who can do this, yep. then you can introduce your website because the key is if you just do business on Amazon, Amazon will take care of everything in terms of tax. Yep. But the yep. minute that you're selling through your website, let's say the threshold is $10,000 in a state and yep. you sell $9,990 worth on Amazon, yep. but $11 on your website, now yeah. you qualify because you have to look at the consolidated yeah. revenue. Yeah. That makes things very complicated. So I say just don't bother. And if you have to do it, then set up a separate company for the yeah. website business and then do it that way. So that way, at least one qualifies, one doesn't. And then yeah. don't jeopardize. But these are just things that, that you have to think about. So um, yeah. Yeah, for us, we didn't have that luxury because we'd already started the other way around. Yeah, so, yeah. and then it was, it was funny because we, uh, just the the speed at which we grew because of the face mask business yeah. was absolutely astonishing. Because all, suddenly, all of these states, you know, we had customers and we went to run the Shopify reports and went like, whoa! All of a sudden, you know, Pennsylvania, Virginia, like what are these ones? And you know, we had to. We had to, to invest in it because it was just too late. But from now on, I mean, Amazon's still reporting. We have our own thing we do, and these are married together. But it's definitely a complex situation. Yeah. So um, as my final question, uh, if you could wish one thing for Amazon to change in their policies or procedures, what <laughs> would that be? I, I would wish, well... I would smack Jeff Bezos upside the head and I think tell him to invest in his platform like Shopify has done. If they could make the platform as good as Shopify Plus is, it would be unbelievable. Shopify's user experience is light years ahead. I mean, everything is perfectly done. I want to say perfect. Nothing's perfect. But it's so easy to launch. All the product uploads for you're people. talking about the seller seller the central. seller central if they could take seller central and make that what shopify is it would change the game it would be suddenly you'd be able to do so much more you'd be able to see all the data in a better way because the the native reporting in shopify is just way better and it just improves everything 
about that experience. I think my biggest pain point with Amazon is Seller Central all the time. It's just, it's just, it's like they threw it together and then they decided, you know, all right, we're going to do just the bare minimum. And it gets better. Like they, they introduce little things, but if I'm coming from Shopify world where we pay for Shopify plus, which is their top tier enterprise level platform. And we get amazing customer support. I can call anybody up and in three minutes, they're on the phone, they're troubleshooting things, they're editing code in the website, they're doing, they're doing stuff to really help us be successful. Whereas the Amazon way, and again, the scale is different, but pushing it all on us and then also setting the rules against you where you're not allowed to edit certain things. It has to be this way. There's nobody for customer service. Oh, we changed a rule. It just, it really makes it difficult for you to be yeah. successful as a seller. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, in fact, what happened was this is years ago. I contacted Amazon. We had a we had someone that we were dealing with, and and I contacted and said, "Listen, you have reports, and I don't understand these reports. I'm prepared to pay if there is yeah. kind of a course or something that you can do where you teach me what these reports are about and yeah. how to use them." You know what yeah, they yeah. told me? Well, you know, yeah. the reality is nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody in Amazon actually knows because they were created by different developers who are no longer with the company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, this is so you, you nailed it, honestly. And that's, that's the attitude, which is like, well, we don't really know and good luck. Yeah. So, yeah. so you have to always be constantly vigilant and then trying to figure out your way around these little challenges. And it's always happening. And, and it just, it's like, it's not catastrophic, but it, it makes your day from being, this is fine to like, oh, I gotta deal with this yeah, again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Brandon, tell us about who Brandon Kennedy is. Where are you based and yeah. your background? What do you do to decompress, you know? Yeah. So tell yeah, us so about who you are. I should have started with that. So originally, so I went to Stanford for my undergrad, graduated 2008, and then I went to MIT for business school a little bit after. I spent my life in technology consulting before this with Accenture. Uh, part of the reason that I started my company, Next Stop, was because I was flying constantly. I flew over 250,000 miles a year for several years and realized this idea that, A, I wanted to be in the travel business. B, I thought there'd be a need for sustainably made clothing that would be really architected for what you want to travel in. So I founded this company. I'm based in LA. Most of our team is here in LA, but as you can imagine, traveling is the number one activity that uh, I'm always doing to whatever, get away, do some product uh, testing, which is nice because you can expense those things, which is oh, great. Yeah. And a nice, uh, way, nice way to test things. <laughs> yeah. And, and admittedly, um, part of the rationale for launching Amazon Canada, Amazon UK, Amazon Mexico is because I just fundamentally am an internationally minded person. I believe that those marketplaces would be really strong. They'd help us diversify our risk. They'd help us reach new customers and get more brand awareness. And I think it's pretty cool that, you know, being a travel company, we have an excuse to be everywhere in the world. And I think the very parting thing I'll say is Amazon helped us do that in a way that we could have never done without it. And that's one of the things I think I'm most grateful for. And I would urge people to think about is that 
when we launched in Canada, when we launched in Mexico, when we launched in the UK, Amazon provided us resources for free in some cases to initiate tax reporting, uh, help us get the listings up in the marketplace, do translation services. Um, it, it was really cool to see and it allowed me to take this idea of next stop being a US brand to being a global brand about travel. And I think that that's cool. And in fact, we use some of our Amazon face mask stock to help us win a deal with Virgin Atlantic because we had to fulfill samples to their people in the UK. And the only way we could do that as fast as we had to was because they came out of the UK warehouses, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, that's uh, ending on a really positive note. So it may give you a lot of heartache to be an Amazon seller. There may be all these challenges, but uh, the rewards are, there's no question. Are- yeah, there's, there's, I think you, you like anything, it's a challenging situation with any road you would take. With our Shopify channel, there's other challenges, which, you know, at the current moment, getting more brand awareness and driving traffic is still, as a smaller brand, one of the ones that we deal with. Amazon has been an outperformer in that way and i just i i would urge i've had conversations with vcs who told me quote i was a stupid fool who shouldn't be thinking about amazon at all because it's a waste of time and what i would say to that person is the same i think i mentioned to you last is that person's a stupid fool because if you don't realize how impotent and important amazon is a channel then i think you're really missing the boat and this is not going to go away this is going to continue to enhance and, and grow absolutely Okay, well, Brandon, this this is great. Uh, talking about yeah. stuff, really, uh, especially seeing somebody like you. So, so there is everyone. Uh, another episode comes to a close, and uh, mm-hmm. thank you, Brandon, for everything and uh, your efforts. Uh, I wish you a lot of luck. Uh, yep. you, you deserve everything that you're doing well, and uh, so I'm really happy to see people like you. And yep. um, that's it, everyone. Uh, Goodbye for now, and I'll see you at the next episode. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends. Amazon Legends.